everyone and welcome to the third of our best of 2017 podcasts and this time we're going to concentrate on the best books and I'm joined by Vicky Riley of Berlin and Polygon Books. Hello Vicky. Hello. And thank you very much for doing this. That's all right. We are recording this in Lighthouse Books which is a fantastic independent bookshop yes. in Edinburgh. You know this well, tell us a little bit about Lighthouse. Well, for 20 years, the building that we were in was originally owned by a woman called Elaine Henry, and she had um, the bookshop called Word Power. Yeah. And it was a, a it was a radical bookshop Absolutely. in the sense that it championed um, marginal voices, um, books about feminism, socialism, politics, and writers that don't get sort of mainstream attention. And then sadly, Elaine decided to retire. Not sadly, I suppose she's off to the south of France. She's probably having a lovely time. <laughs> And thankfully, um, the wonderful Myrie, um has bought the building and the bookshop. Oh, wow. Um, I knew Myrie be- previously from working with her at Topping's bookshop. Okay. So I was delighted to hear that she bought Word Power and now she is making it her own into this lovely lighthouse bookshop. And the great thing about it is that she's carried on the ethos of Word Power. It's still very much a radical bookshop that does pay attention to all the same things yeah. that um, Word Power did. If you love your books and you love bookshops and you're in Edinburgh, then definitely come and pay it a visit. Yes. Um, yeah. And the marvellous thing that they also do is they um, support our great charity called Street Reads, which um, collects books from um, donators all around the, the city oh, and gives them out to homeless people so that they can you know, carry on reading books and still be involved in culture. How brilliant. I know, it was great. Excellent. Street Reads? Yes, we'll, Street Reads. We'll check that out, definitely. Put a link to that. Um, so, we're going to talk about the year in books and some of our favourite ones, and it's fair to say it was a good year for Berlin and Polygon, Scottish Publisher of the Year, yeah. 2017. <laughs> so how was your year in terms of working for well, Polygon? Well, I mean, it was, a, it, was, it was a challenging year, Yeah. Um, but because um, it it's also our 25th anniversary yeah. this year, so it's kind of nice to be uh, awarded this, this, um, this honour in our 25th anniversary year um, we weren't expecting it at all right <laughs> we you didn't still... have your speech ready or anything like that <laughs> well that's this is the thing usually a whole bunch of us go to the saltire awards uh, but also you you know you hear in advance if books that you've that are shortlisted have won and we hadn't heard anything back from the saltire so we just assumed that we hadn't won anything right. that year. so on the on the night itself a lot of us just dropped out of going we're like actually i'm feeling a bit tired I won't, I won't bother going this year, but have a great time, you know, have a canopy on me and all that kind of thing. And then I worked, I actually even stayed and worked late, um, just, you know, and um, then I got home and I just sort of, you know, rocked up on Twitter just to see what the chat was on the hashtag and all that. And then the first thing I saw was Berlin Wins Publisher of the Year and I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, who's picking it up? <laughs> You're like getting into your coat. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, Hugh and Edward and two of our lovely interns were there, so you know there were there were people there to sort of give a lovely speech and all that kind of thing. So yeah, we were quite stunned in a good way. Yeah. Well, and I think it was it's a great recognition because as you say, twenty five years to have survived that long going is it's fantastic, and probably a good recognition of the work that's happened over those twenty five years. Because that's the thing, so many of the books that we've been doing since the nineties. A lot of them are still in print. Yeah. These are books that are that are standing the test of time and will probably still be read in a couple of more decades' time because, you know, one of the, the great things that Berlin champions is 
voices and stories from across Scotland that maybe might not be picked up by mm-hmm. the more mainstream publishers, sure. particularly you know Highlands and Islands stories. And um, they resonate, of course they resonate. They tell the story of, of the country. We have a truly national conversation in the books that we publish, so... It is just. It is just, and <laughs> it is. Um, I mean, I've picked up many new writers through um, books which you've published, and as you say, often from areas of the country that you know more recently haven't had the attention that they deserve. Yeah. Um, so it's been a it's been a years of highs and lows, I think, in Scottish publishing. Mm-hmm. But I think, mainly looking back on it, mainly highs. Yeah. There's been some really. Um, the rise of 404 Inc. I'd yes. like to talk about, particularly the collection Nasty Woman, which yeah. just, just seems to have grown into this phenomenon. Yeah. It's been so lovely to watch from the sidelines yeah. as well. Um, I remember just in the new year when they started crowdfunding for for Nasty Woman, and I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll put some money towards that. And then it just... And you were just like, I hope they make it. I hope they make what they want to 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 earn for this this book. And then it just grew and grew and grew and grew. And Margaret Atwood getting on board and all that kind of thing. And you were just like, this is phenomenal. <laughs> but again, I suppose it was stories or at least people's uh, personal tales which hadn't been aired before. You hadn't really. You had to go and work to find them. Mm. And here was something that was actually. Um, uh, by word of mouth and by social media reaching people and, and the feedback was nothing but uh, positive as far as I could see. Yeah, the, just, it's, that book completely hit at the moment that it needed to hit and it just took off and I think it's great that two people in their bedroom <laughs> can create such such a wonderful story and just to see it develop over the year as well, you know, all the events that they've been invited to and even just the success of the other books that they've yeah, been doing as well. Yeah, I was well. going to say that. I love the fact that they are seem to be, to me, putting out the books that they want to do. Yeah, like, I must admit when, um, you know, I saw what was happening with the Nasty Women book and I was like, oh... Oh, that's going to be hard to, you know, keep up with that and all that kind of thing. But then you saw what happened with Hings. Hings has sold really well. And again, it was just the they, they hit a market that isn't normally represented in bookshops. And they are in the space where the conversation between those people happen, you know. Um it's quite telling that a lot of these books like Your Nasty Women's and Your Good Immigrants and No Place Like Home by JJ Ebola. All these new publishers that are coming through and doing these books that are from voices that aren't normally heard, are they're all doing it through a completely different publishing model. Yeah. And I think that says a lot about what the standard publishing model and the standard publishing world, they should really be taking that a little bit seriously. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, because, you know, the, the trend in books over the, the last few years is been that fewer books have actually been getting sold but more expensive books have been getting sold so it's it kind of tells the story that the book world is in rude health Mm -hmm. but actually you can see that tells you that the market is shrinking and that people are only interested in a market of money and a market of the book as a lovely object and all that kind of thing i'm not entirely convinced that's a sustainable model i think that's right you know, I understand, you know, with the growth in digital and all that, that's how the book world went. I understand that, you know, going back to production values and the book as an object was a sensible thing to do in one way, but it can't be the only thing that you do. 
it's very similar to what happened with music and the, the, the resurrection of vinyl was partly so people could have this quite expensive, as you say, mm. you know, 20 or more pounds for this lovely bit of vinyl, which is as much to have and look at and put on your shelves like your books mm. in the same way. But people are still making music, which is just being heard digitally or, or, or you know, through people sharing on social media or whatever and that's it's difficulty moving from that the new voices or the new songs or the new writers to getting them into people's hands and yeah. getting them read I mean you hear so often oh young men don't read young men don't read and then you see the sales figures for the, for Chris McClear's book and you're just like I'm not entirely sure that's the case I was talking <laughs> just not being catered for <laughs> I was talking to Sam Best um, writer himself but he teaches now he teaches at a school in uh, Glasgow in North Glasgow and he had Chris came and did an event mm. uh, to his I think third year English class and it's an area, it's the area that Chris is from, so they knew the, the, the references in the streets and, you know, to even the fish and chip shops and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and he said it was incredible to watch this class, many of whom, I'm not a reader, you know, yeah, I'm not, it's yeah, not yeah. for me, suddenly engage with this voice that they recognised and understood talking about places and people that they recognised and understood yeah. as well. He said there was a huge connection and they all... Um, they were asked to do short stories afterwards and he thought oh, maybe some of them will, you know, won't take it seriously but they all did Brilliant. which is fantastic to hear it's the same thing when you go to an Irvin Welsh event they are not like any other book events that you go to, the audience is completely different, the atmosphere is completely yeah, different yeah he gets heckled which very rarely <laughs> happens yeah. and you just think why does this have to be a one off case mm. you know so, yes, I'm glad that people like 404 Inc and, you know, the, the people behind The Good Immigrant and, you know, um, uh, Crystal Mahay Morgan is doing things that they're doing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, this was probably the previous year, but I want to talk a little bit about Graham McKay Burnett's Booker. Oh, yes. when Because that... Again, was a great success for a Scottish independent publisher to have that kind of success. I know that was that was such a great story. I remember being at the Salt Hire Awards last year mm -hmm. when he won Fiction Book of the Year, and um, and he and he really got quite emotional. And the whole you could feel the whole room behind him. Mm -hmm. and just I mean, I'm even getting goosebumps just thinking about it now, just because there was just such a a wonderful feeling that somebody who is really talented, who has just, you know, who did, who, who, wrote, who wrote a book like, as he wanted to write mm -hmm. it, you know, it's, it is an unconventional crime story. Um, it, it was just brilliant and he is really talented. I remember seeing him at the Scottish Book Trust Emerging Talents thing yeah, years yeah, ago, you right. know, when, he, when, you, when the Book Trust get men, mentors yeah, and all that yeah. kind of thing and he was performing at the showcase and I just knew, I was just like, yep, He'd already been signed by Saraband by mm. then, but I was just like, oh. <laughs> why did we not see him before? <laughs> but it, again, it's the um, willingness for people to publish the unconventional yeah. and the different still has a place and still can, you know, have huge benefits. And I like it when, when crime fiction, like, twists itself a little bit, you know, because a lot of people talk about genre and... Kind of people kind of look down a little bit on crime sometimes, unjustly, I think, and especially when crime does and can do such interesting things with storytelling. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and he completely did that with I, the, I have to admit, I've to become it. a crime convert in the last <laughs> two or more years because I just really, apart from when I was young, I used to read a lot of, a lot of um, crime fiction and stuff, and I kind of not bothered read more literary. For I mean, it, it's ridiculous because you know, know the, his Bloody Project is an incredibly yeah. literary rich book, and so I read that and I read um, Graham Laroni's book as well at the same time, and it was being promoted as crime fiction I went well there's obviously a lot more going on here than I mm. thought and then I started to kind of read a lot more people and uh, in fact I'm reading Charles McGarry's at the moment oh, are you yeah and I'm not just saying that because you're sitting here I really Charles am Charles is one of ours folks <laughs> um the ghost of Helen Addison is his debut um uh, that he he brought out this year, which is it's done really quite nicely for a mm-hmm. debut. A great and, character right from the start. Very different character. Yeah, Leo Moran is um, yeah he's not your usual grizzled. Uh, he's a bit of a dandy. Yeah, which is right up my street. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go to dinner with with Leo Moran. <laughs> but I think you're right. I think you know, as I say, I remember talking um, to Karen Campbell about her early books and how they were promoted, and it was very much the way that a lot of crime was being promoted at the time in, in bookshops, mm. I guess. Um, well, that's the, thing. the black and white cover, the, you yeah. know, shadowy figure, the same font, and, you know, you could hardly tell one apart from that. I, I think it's, that's one of the reasons why I don't read as much crime fiction in, as other books, because, you know, what I like to do is I go up to the fiction section, I start at A, and I go to Z, and I pick up as many books as take my fancy... And then by the time you've got to Z at the end of the fiction section, you've already got a handful of books. So you've not got, you're just like, well, I'm not going to go to the crime fiction yeah. section because I've already got like a hundred pounds worth of books. But um, no, do you know what I've been doing this year with crime fiction especially is um, audiobooks. Ah, right. Um, so what I do is I download an audiobook, put the headphones on, get my tracky bottoms and my trainers on and go for a big long walk with a crime fiction book blasting in my ah, ear. Yeah. I, I do that with podcasts, <laughs> and, and including your own, but we'll talk about that later on. The only thing about that is you've got to watch when you're crossing the roads. Because <laughs> yeah. if you think the traffic is on the audiobook, you could be in trouble. Uh, one of my favourite ones that I um, listened to this year was Aber Mukherjee's A Rising Man. No, I don't do you know, know what? what? He's from Glasgow. Okay. Um, but he's not published by a Scottish publisher. Um, and he has written these historical crime books set in the twenties in Calcutta. Oh, wow. So, it, as well as it being, you know, uh, a, a murder to solve or whatever, there's also, you know, the hints of politics and colonialism and, and you know, post World War One um, malaise with the with the uh, this, the main character who was in the army, who you would think is completely died in the wool establishment person but he has been disillusioned by the first world war and yet he goes over to Calcutta you know height of the Raj and all that it's really really interesting I would oh, highly recommend fantastic. that ah, yeah. okay what was the name again um, Abur Mukherjee definitely look out for that yeah um you have your own highlights of the year in kind of publishing oh well can I just list the books that I wished Berlin had published yeah go for that that's <laughs> excellent <laughs> Well, one, one another fiction book which I haven't got rounds to reading yet, but I'm very jealous of the sales figures is um, Mary Paulson Ellis's um, oh, Other yeah. Mrs. Walker. Right. 
Um, that's everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, it's Scottish Book of the Year for Waterstones this year as well. Uh, and that's another name who I've, you know, you've seen places over the yeah. years, and it's great that her book's doing so well. And again, it's like it. that there's a mystery at the heart of it. So, you know, the elements of what people can enjoy from crime fiction, but it's got, it's not just a straight procedure. Um, it's So, yeah, it's, it's, it's that element of taking a mystery, adding a little bit more of a literary twist to it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting around to reading that at some point. Um, the other book which really took off and was everywhere this year that I wish Berlin had published is um, The Bothy Bible. Right. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like We are truly sick for not publishing okay. that book. <laughs> um, Wild Guide. They're a, they're a publisher based down in Cornwall or Devon or somewhere down south and they do these beautiful travel guides and The Bothy Bible was one of them. And again... I bet you the sales figures for Christmas this year are going to be skyrocketing as well. So, yeah, that's one of the books that we wished we'd published. And is that um, a few writers having done that? Is that some? Um, I, I actually don't know who the authors are. Mm -hmm. I just always refer it to, to yeah. it as the Bothy, the Bothy Bible. But it's just that the travel guides that, you know, would, you would normally think that books like that really would die a death with the advent yeah. of um, the internet and all that kind of thing. But what the travel uh, guide industry has done instead is, again, create something else with travel guides and make it into a, a sort of, you know, bothy porn, <laughs> <laughs> travel porn, where you're just, you know... A bit looking... like cookbooks have done over <laughs> yeah, the years. Exactly yeah, like Instead of having the uh -huh. recipe, you're, it's the picture almost that's yeah, the most important thing. Yeah, I mean, we did something similar with um, our uh, Paul Martin Hebrides book, and we were going to do something similar with... Um, a book by Bridget Benson next year on the North Coast 500 route mm -hmm. um, called North Coast Journey. Oh, wow, good. Yes, very excited about that. And uh, what's the other? The, there's a couple of history books that I wish Berlin had published as well, which probably haven't got as much attention as they've deserved, maybe because, again, they're not Scotch publishers. Um, one is the Sarah Fraser book on Henry Stewart. Right. There was actually a, a TV documentary about a couple of weeks ago, and Henry Stewart was Charles the First's old older brother. Okay. So he was actually the one that was supposed to take over, you know, the throne. Yep. And he was trained in all the arts and crafts and physical things that you're supposed to be trained for to take over the throne. But unfortunately, he died um, just before he, he died before James the first and sixth died. Mm -hmm. So Charles was sort of elevated into the throne unexpectedly. So it's a bit like Prince Andrew or Harry coming well, yeah. through. And, and but he, by all accounts, he was much more cultured. He was much more worldly. He was much more um, savvy politically and all that. And you just think to yourself, what difference? What a difference it might have made to the whole history of Britain mm -hmm. if he had actually made it to the throne. So um, it's by Sarah Fraser, and I've not read it again because I'm a skinflint. I always wait until the paperback comes out. <laughs> Quite right. <laughs> and the other one was um, a book about David Hume called The Infidel and the Professor. Oh, fantastic! Which was a beautiful book. Again, it was Princeton University Press. So again, you know, you know, it's not going to get that much coverage over. Yeah, over here. and often they're very expensive. Yeah, well, that's the re another reason why I'm waiting for a paperback mm. to come. Oh, even, I would be that. I'm David interested in David Hume. Yeah. Yeah, even the ebook um, of that book is like twenty quid. Mm. And you're just like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult, it's, and I know from a few people who've been published at University Press, it's frustrating for them as well mm. because there is a wider readership out there. It's not just for people. Um, and especially the, the design of it as well. It's got beautiful covers, yeah. really well produced. 
it it I can I think it look it deserves a trade readership. Oh, hopefully. Yeah. Um and the last one that um I wished Berlin had um uh, published. I've not got again I've not got him to read in this one, but it's um Loki's book, Poverty Safari. Ah, right, interesting. Yeah, he I I'd really like to 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 read his point of view on, mm-hmm. on um his life and what it means and how we can go forward with the way politics represents. Do the, you know who's published that? Because I don't. It's Lewis. It is Lewis. Yeah, so oh. it is still a Scottish publisher. Yeah. Excellent. Oh well, well, that's definitely one to check out. Yeah, he's he's. I find Loki interesting. I know he's quite controversial, and a lot, you know, and I don't always agree with him, and I don't always agree with the way he sometimes expresses himself, but I like the way he. Um, is willing to explore what he thinks about things so publicly and mm-hmm. willing to make mistakes and learn from them or not or whatever. Yeah. But like I like the fact that he's unafraid in There's the way an honesty he, in what he yeah. did, how he uh, presents himself. Yeah. It was the same with his music, I think. And live, if you see him live, you I, know. I see, I've never seen him live. Well, I think he, in my experience, he'll often, you know, um, divide an audience even yeah. then, but it's because <laughs> he'll say what's on his mind. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that sort of unsafeness about him. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it, yeah. Danger. Yeah, that's a better word. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We should touch upon, I said it was a good year, but it also has had its downs and the kind of demise of freight um, is one which um, I just feel incredibly sorry for the writers who Mm. were caught up in it. Um, It it came out the blue. I think that's what the thing is. Like, you know, sometimes... You could, because the book world is quite small, you hear rumblings of things. If you know, if things aren't going well, yeah, uh huh. But this one just completely came out the blue. Yeah. And it kind of stunned us all. It stunned not just other publishers and the writers, but booksellers as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, People that had really championed free and and you know were excited by having another independent publisher in Scotland. And the books that they were publishing this year, the ones that they did and the ones that they were due to, um, great books, a lot of new writers, mm. um, some of whom luckily have been taken up by yeah. other um, people, some who unfortunately haven't. And not yet. Not yet. There is still yeah. possibilities. Of course, you're right. You're absolutely <laughs> right. I enjoy your positive view on these things. Well, let's hope so. Yeah. Because uh-huh. really some great books. Mm-hmm. Um, some of which I uh, read and reviewed um, on Scots Way. But... Ever Dundas's book is a debut that, again, I've not got him to read into. Well, I can tell you, it's fabulous. Yeah. I, I saw her um, during the festival at Blackwell's reading from it and just all the reviews and everything. Mm. I was just like, I, I can't remember another Scottish debut getting those kinds of reviews since Jenny Fagan's Politician. That's an excellent comparison because there is a similar, not in terms, not maybe in terms of style, but there's the same kind of care and what's the word I'm looking for kind of positiveness coming out of it from difficult difficult situations Mm. fantastic central character one that you just want to go with and you really root for Um, and it's it's complicated enough that you don't just get the one story it goes off in different directions Um, yeah it's a tremendous um, read and Saraband of Republished yeah. that. So is that, it out now? Is it's out now. Yeah, I saw it in Waterstones in Glasgow. Has it got day. a different colour? Same it? cover. Um, but uh, yeah, if it's not going to, um, it'll be around for a while anyway. And it won the first Saltire yeah, yeah. first novel, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Because um, one of the things that I'm really interested about it is the way it depicts the World War Two in a less than sort of rose-tinted, nostalgic way. Because we're so used to hearing about the Blitz and all that being the good old days yeah. in some sort of weird way. And um, especially reading Muriel Spark at the moment and um, having read books like Elizabeth Bowen's um, In the Heat of the Day. Is, mm-hmm. that the, is that the title? In the Heat of the Day? In the Heat of the Night? Is that the Sydney Poitier film? In the Heat of the Night is the Sydney right, Poitier film. Right, Heat of the Day then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and just the, you know, the undercurrent of violence mm-hmm. and the and the constant sense of anxiety and the, and that must have really been there, you know. It's not, it wasn't all sort of knees up Mother Brown in the shelter and all, and all that kind of thing. So, yes, I really want to read Goblin very soon. And the, <laughs> the um, great thing is it's seen through a child's eyes. Um, someone who has read some fiction themselves and turns that fiction, the H.G. Wells references and Frankenstein references, trying to make sense of this world where there's bombs going off yeah. and there's people are dying and people are going missing and animals are dying, which, you know, it, it's... I didn't know that story yeah. about the, what was it, the pet deaths or the... It's... I didn't realise that there was a, a whole big cull. And what's incredible about the writing in it is it takes you a while to work because the Goblin's young voice is so unique and the things that she sees and the way that she sees it, you have to kind of work your way through it and only then you go, oh, that's what was referenced to. You have to kind of go back and go into it. Oh, it's, it's, it works on so many levels and yeah, it's one of my favourite books of the year and I highly recommend it. Right. And yeah, we hope that um, there's a lot more kind of happy stories come out of the demise of freight, yes. definitely. <laughs> um, so you've talked a little bit about the books you wish you had got around to. <laughs> um, what about books of the year? What have you been excited about? this year? Well, my favourite Scottish book of the year is This Is Memorial Device. Oh, good, because it's mine as well. (laughs) By David Keenan. Uh, We were both at his event at the book festival, weren't we? Um, I took it on holiday with me um, to Berlin. I went to Berlin and I thought, this is an appropriate book to take to Berlin. It is. Even though This Is Memorial Device is set in Airdrie. (laughs) But it almost paints Airdrie as Berlin of the kind of 80s, doesn't it? You kind of expect Lou Reed and uh, Iggy Pop to turn around the corner. Yeah, and I get probably like Goblin. I mean, it does take a little bit used to getting into the the, the narrative voice and the way it, you know, it's different voices at once and you're kind of like, and you're a bit confused as to which character's saying what thing and so you have to, you know, turn back and all that kind of thing. But once you get into it, and just the the accumulation of all the different voices and all the different stories, it's really good. Like mm-hmm. it's so inventive. There are so many great quotable lines and brilliant passages, or individual stories from some of the individual characters that just that made you laugh and want to cry at the same time because of the sheer audacity of all these people doing such amazing, crazy things in Airdrie yeah. in the eighties when you know is. It was bleak times Thatcher's for most of us. Britain yeah, absolutely. And all that kind of thing. Um, yeah, it, it's. I, I admit, the f- I started reading it 
And I went, I'm going to have to start this again because I don't know where the <laughs> hell it's going. And I did. And then you've you got to get into his voice and the different voices because there are many, yeah, many different yeah. voices. And it's just so thorough. You get anthologies, you get discographies, you get huge index. I mean, an index like you've never seen in your life. And you just go, wow. And then we did a podcast with him and it kind of all I made sense. To it, yeah. Because uh, <laughs> he just, he's got a mind that goes at 100 miles an hour. I know, I like that. I like, I like people whose brains go... And fireworks in all different directions, but at the same time, you seem to be able to coalesce their ideas into something that sounds right and proper. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, can I talk about someone else who's a little bit like that and who you published, which was Stuart Cosgrove's uh, ah, Memphis 68, yes. uh, The Tragedy of Southern Soul, yes. the follow up to um, Detroit, Detroit yeah. 67. Yeah. Um, I, I, I love the first book, I love this book, and it's. it's incredibly deep and detailed about a time in America's history and taken in a year mm. where you've got you know the, the death of Martin Luther King you've got at the beginning the death of Otis Redding yeah. um, and how that affected oh, that Memphis. chapter makes me cry oh, <laughs> it is um, it's I can't wait for the next one as well yes. and if you're interested in American history but American music as well because mm. he does look at the music there's great f- references if you want to get deeper into your mm. soul music it's fantastic reference because he does it. speak about you know the big superstars you know in Detroit he talks about all the massive Motown yeah uh, D- D- Detroit's about Motown isn't it yeah. and, the, the and Memphis the is about stacks so obviously Otis Redding is in there and all that kind of thing but he also talks about all the sort of more little known people you know, like the story of that, that that's in the Catherine Bigelow film in in Detroit about yeah, um, which I didn't make the, the I, connection, but yeah. yeah, I didn't know about that story until I, I read. Obviously, I read Stuart's book before mm-hmm. I watched the film, um, but yeah, Memphis '68. I always have a soft spot for all the music books that we do mm. at um, in Berlin. So you know, whenever a, a new music book comes. You don't really have to ask me twice whether I think it's a good idea to publish it or no. not. And particularly as being such a sort of sixties geek as well, um, to do a book on sixties music and sixties soul music, and to do to do it with um, Stuart's energy and passion and commitment, and he's such a great authority on the on the subject. Yeah. And. You, you you can tell that even from a five minute conversation to reading a whole book that he's written. Yeah, you know he's his knowledge is astounding. And I think he wears it quite lightly. He's not trying to bombard you with all yeah. of this information. There's narratives and there's I mean he's a he's an, I think he's, he's a great writer. He's a storyteller yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. And you know the stuff other books he's done with you, I think are similarly um, great stories. You know. Mm. So Harlem sixty nine will be coming out next year. Yeah. Get your orders in. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't wait for it. And, and uh, that's that's it, isn't it? It's a trilogy. It's is a that, trilogy. Yeah. But, you know, there are other conversations being had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because um, I think some people, hopefully not people that listen to this, but some people maybe know him still best as, um, you know, football mm. uh, pundit on Radio Scotland and um, perhaps the work he did with Channel 4 and yeah. things like that. But he's a terrific writer. I mean, you know, any of his books I would recommend to pick up. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what else have you got to say your books of the year? Uh, so after this, well, I've not read this yet, but I'm gonna. this is going to be on my crime audio odyssey, okay. which I'm, I'm leaving for the Christmas holidays. So I'm going to go on a big walk in the Christmas <laughs> holidays. <laughs> it's a major run. And listen to Denise Mina's book. Okay. Yes. Um, the Long Drop. I mm-hmm. always get mixed up and call it The Last Drop. 
that's a pub. Yeah. The long drop. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yes, and because again, it's that mixture of truth and fiction and the way she's going to the, the, way, the way she writes it as well because I was really pleased to hear that she won the Gordon Byrne prize because yeah. he's a writer that I really love as well um, so, I, so I kind of associate it now with Gordon Byrne which makes me even more intrigued to, to, to read it One book um, I was wanting to talk about was uh, James Kelman's short stories that was a shiver because I'm a massive Kelman fan but I do love his short stories I think there are a few people better when it comes to doing those I've not read the new one mm-hmm. um, I've read see I've not ever I've never read one of Kelman's collections cover to cover as well I always just dip into them but that's fine so I, I can't even tell story. you which yeah they do all become a bit of a blur yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. not, not while the gyro and greyhounds at breakfast the burn or uh, the times burn. Yeah, there's loads of them. <laughs> but they should all be checked out, and it's a good point, actually. Yeah. Um, they are books where you can dip into these stories. You don't have to read them one after the other at all. No. The whole point, uh, not the whole point, but one of the points about the, how he writes his fiction is that you kind of join a character partway through, sometimes mid-sentence even, yeah. and then you leave them in the same way, and you've, <laughs> you've got a little snapshot of someone's life that has gone on. And... Um, it's just I'm just so glad that he's continuing to write, and actually with this and uh, Dirt Road last year mm, yeah. is doing some of his best. And do you know what more rela- most relaxed uh-huh. fiction that he has for some time? Yeah, uh-huh. I think. Well, I, I I I can't possibly comment on why that is, <laughs> but I'm I'm glad it is happening. Yeah, yeah. me too. Um, the yeah, I don't know either. I don't know whether setting it in Dirt. Uh, Dirt Road in America because yeah. he's had he's had novels in America before, but that book there's the relationship between the father and the son and there's loads of music in yeah. it and there's something about that and the in the short stories there's a lot of music there's a lot of humor a real you know there's always humor in Kelman there really is yeah. and he gets a hard time like he does people, like people just always give him this sort of doer reputation where there is a lot of humor oh uh, yeah in but his it's books. often quite. Dark well, yeah, humour. Yeah, it is dark humour, but... In this story, there's some the more... That's the moral of the, the, the gags. Not yeah. gags, exactly. That would be <laughs> no. ridiculous. But, um, yeah, no, no. it's a, it's a really it's a, actually a really good place to start because although you've got the big back catalogue yeah. of stuff, um, I think his short stories are a really good um, introduction to one of the best writers about, without a doubt. Yes, yes, absolutely. And um, talking about one of the best writers that Scotland has produced. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> to Great seg- segue. <laughs> to segue in there. There is the wondrous Muriel Spark. Oh yes, as well. let's talk about Muriel. I know. I, I am I am headlong deep in love with Muriel Spark at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so thrilled that um that we are getting to, to be the publisher at the centre of the Muriel Spark Centenary project. It's well it's it's underway now. Yeah. Like two thousand and eighteen is her centenary year. But, um, you know, we've started off our publication of all 22 of her novels mm-hmm. and the, you know, the exhibition at the National Gallery, yeah, uh, National Library, sorry, has opened. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping to see that maybe this afternoon. Right, OK. <laughs> um, by all accounts, it's very good. Mm-hmm. I've not been yet myself. Well, it's a good friend of mine. Colin McElroy, old Colin, oh, who is, he's, yeah, um, so I'm sure it'll be fantastic. Yeah, I've, the pictures that I've seen online already look really good, and I really want um, the poster 
Yeah, and I'm hoping they're selling the posters <laughs> as well, which is ridiculous. But uh, no, it's, it, the poster looks fantastic. Yeah. So a lot of work has been going into that throughout this year mm-hmm. in the background in secret. We've not been allowed yeah. to talk about it for so long. I remember long. meeting you at the book festival and you say, I've got a secret to tell you, but you can't tell anyone else. And uh, my lips were sealed. I know. It was so... It was so hard. Just burning out yeah, up. because you know, at the time, I was visiting bookshops, you know, mm. selling in Berlin's wares and all that kind of thing, and I couldn't talk about it. And you know, I I visit all the bookshops, and all the booksellers love Muriel Spark. Mm-hmm. There's very rarely a bookshop that you'll go in, and one of the booksellers is not a massive Spark fan, and I couldn't say anything. <laughs> So that has been part of the challenge of this year um, is doing our our own um, publishing schedule, but also doing all the work behind the scenes for getting the Muriel yeah. Spark Centenary Edition project up and running. So we've released the first four. Um, so that's The Comforters, Robinson, Memento Mori and The Ballad of Peckham Rye. Mm-hmm. And we also released um, by Alan Taylor, who is also the series editor of the Centenary Editions. He's done a really lovely memoir. Yeah, about, he was a friend of hers, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, uh, about his friendship with Muriel. Um, they met in the early 90s, maybe 1990 actually, um, and they just hit it off. They became friends and he um, visited her house in Arezzo loads of times over the, the following years and was also the person that accompanied Muriel on all her sort of international bookish oh, adventures. So it's it's a really lovely memoir about his friendship with her and his appreciation of her work throughout um, her career as well. And so because I mean I mean I must admit I'm sh- I shamefully had only read Crime of Mischief Brody um by the time this project mm-hmm. came up. So I've been on a crash course with Muriel <laughs> Well, that's fantastic. <laughs> it is, and it's especially like the latter half of the of this year has really been dedicated to Muriel, and it's kind of no other writers are coming close. <laughs> mm, that's the problem when you get kind of one of the best. Yeah. thing it's, it's a lot to live up to. That. Yeah. So yeah, that, that we're we're doing our podcast on Muriel Spark um, this month too, which will be coming out soon. So we're doing the comforters for that one. But I decided for some strange reason, I don't know why I thought in my head that I should read Muriel Sparks' books on young girls' careers in publishing ah. before reading The Comforters. Right. Because that's what she was before mm-hmm. she wrote The Comforters. And even though she wrote those books after she wrote The Comforters, I thought it might give me sort of flavour and element of what her life was like before she yeah. wrote The Comforters, which has been an interesting um, way to do it. Because, I mean, she wrote Far Cry from Kensington and Loitering with Intent, a fair wee while later on, right. like maybe late seventies, those ones were okay. released. Oh, I'm not too sure of mm-hmm. the chronology. And um, Girls of Slender Means was just after um, Jean Brodie, and it's been interesting to um, note the differences in tone and generosity between the later books, where she's maybe had a, she's got a lot more hindsight now, mm-hmm. and the the Girls of Slender Means. And then reading the comforters just now, I've not quite finished it yet. It's so good. It is so for a debut. I mm. cannot believe the command and the confidence of that book for a debut novel. Um, and that's one of the things about her writing is the confidence of of it at all. It's there's never any doubt. I mean, in, in, right from the beginning through to things like the driver's seat, which mm. is you know, it's a crazy book, really. Um, she, this is what I'm going to write, and I'm going to write it in this style and. She seemed to have confidence in her own ability right from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. It's so 
and it's so great to read. You know, like sometimes when you read a novel and you're liking it, but you can you can sometimes feel a writer hedging their bets slightly mm -hmm. and not quite sort of pushing. Going for the yeah. what they want to say. You never get that with Muriel Spark. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she's just she's just fearless in her writing. She's an art monster. I really love her. <laughs> we should say as well that you're releasing these books throughout the year. Yeah. And then eventually people could can get the whole yes thing as a collection yes yeah. uh -huh. so we've done the first four in november we're releasing far cry from kensington in december which is out of sequence but the reason why we're doing that is because it's radio four's book at bedtime right on january okay so you know we want you to to um buy far cry from kensington yes and then we're doing four more in february which is Oh God, am I going to do this in order? We're going to do Prime of Miss Jean Brodie, Girl of Slender Means, The Bachelors and The Mandelbaum Gate in, in February. And then for each month after that, we're going to release two mm -hmm. up until the festival, the book festival. And then they'll all be available by the time the oh, will they? But the hits. Oh, yeah. okay. Mm -hmm. So I've got to pack my suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> to get that, yeah. Well, we are doing a deal on our website where you can buy the Year of Spark in a, in a sort of subscription type thing yeah. where we post them out. I here think that's on a good, I have to say that's a good way of doing it. Yeah, we, so yeah. we post them out. We've sold a fair few already, yeah. Year of Sparks. Yeah. Um, so we're, so we've got a lot of a, we're using a lot of brown paper and string and lots of, <laughs> we've made these little labels to put on them so yeah um, I should say as well because I think a lot of people if they've read any spark like yourself it would have been um, the prime of Miss Jean Brodie um, there is so much more out there I mean really? there's the sh even short story collections yeah. which are incredible um, this was a writer her whole life was writing really mm. it was the yeah. um, right to the end and I'm I'm really hoping that this year will um, get more garner more attention to the books that maybe people don't necessarily think of right away. Yeah. Um, I mean, Loitering with Intent is amazing. Fleur Talbot is one of the best characters in twentieth century literature. There you go. I, I kind of want to be her a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's a sign of a good book, isn't it? Absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. It's like wanting to live in Airdrie. Who thought a book could be able to <laughs> yeah. do that? No offence. Um, you mentioned there that uh, Muriel Spark's going to be the subject of your next podcast. And yeah. we should say that you and Christian Kerr do The Hitchhiker's Guide to Scottish Literature. Yeah. Which I think is the best new podcast of the year. I've loved it. Woohoo! Thank you very been, much for I mean, it's, I'm right at the audience for it, absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, I, I mean, you've, you've already uh, touched on Burns, you've been on Nan Shepherd, which is fantastic. Yeah, she has been the discovery of the year for me because yeah. I hadn't read anything uh -huh. be before we did that um, that podcast again someone from part of um, Scotland that maybe you know we didn't recognise the, the writers that came from them and she was yeah. writing kind of Cairngorms and Aberdeen based yeah and she was from the North East um, Lewis Grassic Gibbon country as yeah. you know people call it now yeah, but yeah. she she um, was right she was I think she was friends with Lewis Grassic Gibbon but you know Sunset Song has gone on to um, to achieve wide knowledge and and Nan Shepherd just didn't she completely disappeared for, for ages because um, it was funny the story of, of The Living Mountain was she I mean she wrote that in the 30s mm -hmm. but it was only first published in the 70s yeah. she put it in a drawer because she she sent she had sent it to um, another writer Neil Gunn, mm -hmm. sort of saying, "What do you think about this? This is a little bit different." And he was kind of like, "Yeah, it's a bit too different." 
Whereas oh. it was just it was way ahead of its time. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, and now it's it is one of the best books this country has produced. It's it's kind of spiritual and it is almost like a seventies book in many ways. You know, <laughs> the, the think of the land, but I suppose that links into Grassic Gibbon and his. You know the the link between the people and the land and those that work on it and or walk on it yeah. as uh, she. But I um, I went back to her novels as well, which are amazing too. Mm. The Quarry Wood. There's a chapter in particular where the the main character has just gone off to university and she is just so excited about being in a place where she is free to just be alone with her brain and knowledge and getting it all. And I and I just think that. It's a chapter and a section of a novel that should be sent to every single person who th- who takes education for granted mm-hmm. and thinks that it doesn't matter to people who who don't get the experience of going to university or whatever. Yeah, it it's just it's, it's astounding. I, I I related very much um, to it in the way that you know just the luxury of that time alone with your brain to. Develop it. <laughs> well, exactly, which is what um, certainly secondary education, a lot of education was supposed to be, and yeah. then that gets cut off from people for all sorts of reasons. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. I, I, and it also just amazes me. I mean, I know she lived in the North East, she didn't really leave the North East, but why she is not considered in the same breath as the, the, the modernists of the period, I do not know. No, exactly. Like, she uses the exact same techniques and, and think, like, the, the interiority of the books and all that kind of thing that is completely classed with modernist writing. And yet, you know, you're lucky if you get Virginia Woolf mentioned and yeah. then that, and she's the only yeah, woman. Well, that's the point. And, so it, and people think of modernism as quite an urban force as well whereas it's that's a not. very good point I hadn't thought about that but it is very much a kind of rural modernism that she's yeah. she's writing about yeah it just it, yeah it just shows you how wide um, it actually was the ideas that were coming around at that time and yet it, again modernism gets you know boxed into this specific definition nowadays so and I'm glad that she's getting her um, due again and now you find her on your fivers as <laughs> yes. well <laughs> which is odd yeah, so most like a lot of the the reason why I'm saying a lot um, that I've not read a lot of the the contemporary Scottish books that mm. came out this year is because this year has been spent reading a lot of backlist Scottish stuff of because of the podcast. We we conceived of doing it because of the 25th anniversary. We were like, let's just do something a little bit different. Yeah. Because what we do is we pair a classic Scottish text with a book and an author from Berlin who is somehow connected to the theme or the content matter or, or anything from the from the book to just sort of show that that Berlin books really are part of the cultural conversation that you can have about Scottish writing. And it's just been great reading all these Scottish writers who, you know, I did English literature at mm-hmm. university, so I didn't read a lot of Scottish books when I was when I was studying. So it's been great to to discover these great writers who are not as well known as they should be. And one of them, I mean, your last one was on John Buchan. Yes. And that's exactly a good example of that. You know, people know the 39 steps of the mm. moment at all, but again, a hugely kind of influential and successful writer at the time. Mm. He was well known at the time. Yeah. I can understand why some writers fall out of favour. Mm-hmm. And John Buchan is somebody that does seem quite rooted in that 
old school world of colonial Britain. Yes, and all very that kind much thing. so. Uh-huh. But that's not to say his books, even in a subtle way, question the wisdom of, of that, even as they purport to be quite sort of, even in a propaganda type way, about Great Britain fighting mm. the, the, the... There are aspects to yeah. them which make you a little bit uncomfortable yeah. as a modern reader. I think there's no mm-hmm. doubt about that. Um, however, he could spin a tail and get you to... Yeah, I mean, and some of... Particularly Sick Heart River, which was the one that we did for the podcast, is... It's like it's, it's, a, it's a 19th century person fighting to get into the 20th century. It was a really interesting book to read. And it, and the fact that it was his last book makes it even more resonant in a way that you can see him sort of studying or thinking about his life and his thought processes behind his whole life mm-hmm. and the, the way he's lived his life and worked and the framework in which that was in and sort of maybe questioning that slightly. Yeah, when the world changes and and, and people find difficulty with that change, they mm. don't quite understand it. Why the things that they thought were so important or um, the standards that they had have shifted and can't quite get their head yeah. around that. And there's also just really beautiful writing in Sick Heart mm, River yeah. as well. <laughs> he was a talented man. Absolutely. <laughs> but so, it, was, it was more of the women that I, that, yeah. that I discovered that... Um, intrigued me. Emma Tennant as well was somebody who I'd always wanted to get into. Yeah, who I hadn't heard of and bought. Um, Cause she died. She died this year. Oh, I didn't. And know that. like she had a couple of obituaries, you know, mm-hmm. but you know there wasn't a big fuss about it. Yeah. And you know she was big news in the late twentieth century, in the latter half of the, tw- the late the twentieth century, and but she's kind of fallen out of favour, and her books are astounding. Mm-hmm. They're they again they very much fit into that whole anxious um, you know like Elizabeth Bowen or, or or probably quite similar to maybe the character in Goblin or whatever mm-hmm. where you know violence is never it's, there, there's a strong undercurrent of violence in all, all the books that she's written and it's, it's tough reading mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it's good reading as well it's, it's reading that really gets your brain synapses firing <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, another one was Naomi Mitchison. You did one yes. Naomi Mitchison. As yeah, well. I never realised the sheer amount of books that she's that she's written. Mm-hmm. So many, and and also, you know, she cha- chopped and changed styles all the time as well. She's more well known as a historical fiction writer, yeah. but she she's actually done so much more. And she seemed like she lived a good life as well. Like, you know, when you when you read the biographies of these yeah. people, and you're kind of like, oh, that sounds good. You're at the centre of things even though she lived in this grand house in the, in the countryside. But, you know, she was she just seemed like a real 20th century creation, smack bang in the middle of all the important things that had happened. So, I mean, you said you started doing the, the podcast uh, partly to celebrate the 25th anniversary, but are you going to be keeping it going? Yeah, we, we will be doing it. We will we'll, we'll continue. We've not decided what we're going to do next year. We're probably going to do fewer ones because yeah. doing one a month... I know. <laughs> While having a very challenging publishing job. You've got to read the book. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you don't only just read the book, but you read around the book as yeah, well. Yeah, you've got to think about it. And um, so, so, yeah, it's been, qu- it's been quite a challenge doing it this year. It's been enjoyable, but we both um, decided that trying to do one a month was um, a bit too much. Yeah. So we'll still do them, but we'll do fewer next year. Yeah. 
So, um, so what about next year? Forthcoming publications. What are you uh, excited about? Well, I'm obviously excited about um, Harlem '69 that we talked yes, about earlier. Yes, absolutely. And um, we've and the Sparks as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a new novel by Stuart David coming Fantastic. out. Peacock's Alibi. Now, um, Stuart was on um, the podcast. Um, gosh, a wee while ago when he about his book um, in the All Night Cafe, which is about his time. In Bell and Sebastian. Oh right, okay. His so early that, times ah. in Bell and Sebastian. So, it's, it, oh, it's so that was more read. of a memoir. It is absolutely right, a memoir. Okay. Um, a, it's a great read. It's just this, although you know, getting the record out and becoming a success, and the way that they did it, and the way um, it's it's an odd. He's slightly detached because you know he's no longer in the band and yeah. stuff like that. So it's all about the early years of Bell and Sebastian. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're into music at all, it's a great read. But he came on and did a podcast with us, and um, we, with Karen, his wife, and we spoke all about that and his time in Looper as he is in yeah. now. But he also had an earlier novel called Nalda Said, which I reviewed many moons ago, um, which I highly recommend, and it shows his skill as a novelist and I'm mm. so pleased that uh, you're putting out Peacock's Alibi yeah so uh, Peacock Johnson is a character that he's wrote before yes um, and this book the premise of it is really is quite, is quite strange because Peacock Johnson became a character in an Ian Rankin novel that's right and so the premise of this book is that Peacock Johnson because of that Ian Rankin novel is now much more under the eye of the local police. They, they Because of that book, they think that Peacock Johnson is a much more of a hardened criminal than he actually is. Because really what who, what Peacock Johnson is, he's a, he's a bit of a wide boy chancer, like sort of get-rich-quick kind yeah. of guy, rather than a true sort of gangster. And what he wants to do is, um, you know, start another get-quick-rich scheme. But instead he's... Um, accused of murder which he's completely innocent of um, or is he <laughs> <laughs> and so it's there's a sort of there's quite a sort of crime caper element to it as he tries to evade you know being under the, the, the getting collared by the, the local policeman who's just on his case all the time and wants to frame him for this murder so it's 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 a crime book but it's a funny book as well yeah, yeah. I can imagine he's got a great sense of humour mm. um, which which is not always easy to get down in, in my book but he might he, I think he definitely manages to do it um, so apart from Stuart what else well talking about um, John Buchan um, we published this year a brand new Richard Haney series, obviously not written by John Buchan. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so following in the footsteps of things like the new Poirots and the new James Bonds and all that mm-hmm. kind of thing, we've brought back Richard Haney. Um, Robert G. Harris wrote The 31 Kings, which was the book that he said Haney might have written had he stayed alive during the Second World War because it sees Richard Haney taking it taking it to the Nazis. Yes. Um, so which And it's done really well. And then next year we're bringing out another one but instead of it being a follow-up to that one, it's we go back in time a little bit, and it's the story that Buckin might have told after John McNabb, right? But couldn't have told then because of its international political implications, because it stars the Kaiser Wilhelm. <laughs> wow! <laughs> and again, it's just this really great romp of a of a of a novel. So he's been a pleasure to work with, and I'm really glad that. That the public have taken to the books in the yeah. in the spirit that that they were, that they were done, um, because you can feel his love for the for the John Buchan adventure novels in his books. And then we're doing the North Coast Journey book. We are following up our 
amazingly popular 101 Gins book with 101 rums. Funny that, isn't it? I mean, it's a popular one. I am more of a rum drinker than a gin oh, drinker, so I am particularly looking forward to this one. I was watching uh, Peaky Blinders this week and uh, Tom Hardy's character says... Um, Gin is, makes you melancholy, but rum puts the fire in you. <laughs> and I think you need more rum than gin at this moment in time. Well, so see all of us. <laughs> <laughs> and it's coming in summer, folks. Um, and then we're also doing this really lovely book. It's it's similar but different to the books that we've been talking about earlier, you know, like Your Good Immigrants and 404s, mm-hmm. Inks. And it's, it's called A Human Love Story, and it's by a man called Matt Hopwood. And what he did was he travelled round Scotland. Well, he's travelled round the whole of the UK, but this book is particularly about his travels around, around Scotland, where he just talks to people about love. Right. And so he's got many stories about all different kinds of love from his travels going around Scotland, speaking to, to different people. So rather than it being like a sort of cause to champion and all that kind of thing, this is a, a, a book about the different kinds of love and how it affects your life and the stories it brings. And it's a much needed book, I think. Yeah. When you know, sounds fascinating. <laughs> we're kind of turning on the news and thinking that love has disappeared yeah, from the out public sphere. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. So that's another book that we're looking forward to. I mean, there's loads, there's yes. tons, because we publish a lot of books. We usually do around about 160 books a year. So, yes, those are a few of the highlights coming up. Well, I think talking about love is the perfect place to finish <laughs> yes. at this time of year, especially. <laughs> So, uh, Vicky, thanks very much for doing this with us. No problem. And we'll be back in the new year, I think, with someone completely different. Cheers. Cheers.